0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcast.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Episode, we're going to discuss two trivots of emotion, actually. they uh very brief, in which Rav Moshe, um, as opposed to, right, the first two of Moshe either banned, right, said you can't have an investigation or um, didn't require investigation, although he didn't allow looking away. Here, Rav Moshe is going to require an investigation, the first one in a a way that I think is a little bit peculiar, and the second one in a way which sets up really important important rules. Uh, The first case Rav Moshe is talking about is uh, whether uh, women who have had some kind of internal Inspection, medical inspection, uh, can, for the purposes of nida, assume that that inspection yielded a wound that would bleed, and therefore attribute any bleeding uh, to that to that inspection. Whether in the first three days uh, of shivat where the standards are uh, are higher and generally require evidence that there has been a uh, that there has been a wound uh, which is bleeding, or um, in any time thereafter. So Here is what Moshe says. When there's a medical inspection that did not actually reach the uterus, and therefore you don't have to worry that it created the situation in Lida. Um, right? So she's already Torah. So you can assume that, the, um, that any blood is the result of a wound caused by that inspection. But then he says something really interesting. But you still have to ask the doctor whether there was a wound, because you need to get all the evidence that you can. Whatever is possible to, whatever is possible to investigate, you have to investigate. Now, this is um, not true. In the first three days, in the first three days, you can only re- um, you can only re- you can only rely on it if the doctor says there was a wound. But if he says there was, right, if he says there was a wound, then you can rely on, on him even in the first three days, whether or not he's from. But that's not the issue that matters to me. Now the issue to me is the claim that you have to ask the doctor whether there's a wound. Now what happens if the doctor says there's no wound? I think the Pashtas in Rambam's halacha is that even if the doctor says no, I didn't do anything that would cause a wound, you can still, uh, right? You can still rely on the right on the possibility that there uh, that there was a wound. Um, so right if that's true now Ramosha doesn't say that um, explicitly right he says right again, i read you the everything that seems relevant about uh about that section he says you can um you can create a clear right you can you can presume um that the blood comes from the wound, but you still have to ask the doctor um, so I guess what Ramos is saying. Uh, is that the um, if, if the doctor says no, then absolutely we would trust him. If the doctor says, I don't know, I guess we would uh, assume there's a wound. And the doctor says, yes, and of course it's okay. It's possible that Rasmus is saying, that even the doctor says there isn't a wound, um, that because the doctor has a professional interest in saying there is no wound, so then, in fact, we discount that, and we say, well, there's bleeding, there shouldn't be bleeding, so we assume there's uh, we assume there's a wound. That would be the most radical way of reading motion. Moshev. Uh, in that case, what he'd be saying is that the obligation to investigate and get all the evidence you can applies even if that evidence will not change your mind. Because the doctor is saying that right, you were already willing to conclude there's a wound, and if the doctor says there is a wound, great. If the doctor says there's no wound, you're going to think there was one anyway. Uh, that would be the most radical reading of this show. He doesn't say it explicitly, so it could be he's just saying that if you can't reach the doctor, then you can assume there's a wound. But if you reach the doctor and the doctor says, no, um, you know, I was careful. And the doctor said they didn't do anything that could cause a wound. That obviously could be different. But we're dealing with a case of an operation that certainly could um, cause a wound, otherwise the question wouldn't, der- there would be no clear. So maybe we trust the doctor if they say if they say not. Now, question we have to ask is, so asking, so we have to assume here that asking the doctor is not a tirkha because if it was a tirkha, then the question should be the same as the as the fish, as the chicken question. Uh, so we could talk about what happens if it's embar- you know, if you feel embarrassing to ask the doctor. Uh, what happens if you don't, if you particularly don't trust the doctor? I think the best reading of the, the best reading of the shuva is that Rav Moshe thinks you have to ask because you have a fundamental imperative to make decisions based on all the evidence. Uh, and that this applies even if the evidence is not going to change the outcome. But as i say that would be a, an odd outcome. Okay, that was um Chedek Aleph Simen Sadihei. The Tshuva asks. Uh, I think, somewhere between 57.17 and 57.19 because it's the Rav Yisrael Cohen Richter and his, uh, the other Tshuva Ravosh writes to him are between 5717 and 5719. The second truva we're going to discuss is Igret Moshe Yerodeh Chelek Aleph Simon Ayin Bet. This is definitely written in 5718 to um, Rabbi uh, Bensian Rakow of London. Um, this is a very famous truva, but not the part that we're talking about. The first part of the Truva deals with the question of whether one can rent um, catering, kosher catering, catering halls. Jews who will uh, unquestionably do forbidden things such as mixed dancing uh, at the at the hall and Rav Moshe deals with the question very very uh, very very important uh, to dealing with the question of to what extent you have responsibility for other people's religious decisions the second half of the chiva which is the case we're interested in it deals with shotness checking uh, and the question is can you as a merchant sell clothing that has not been checked for shotness to Jews, right, to Jewish purchasers who will not check it themselves. Uh, so here's the way so here's the way Moshe writes the church. the Israel Can you sell garments that might contain shotness to Jews who will wear them regardless? So Ramosha says there's a distinction. If it's a suffig mamish, okay, suffig mamish so there's some kind of minimal threshold of doubt that, right, of, of the possibility that there's is here, right? The term we're going to deal with is mir ha and mir there's debates, right, as to what the percentage is. 5%, 15%, maybe it differs in different areas. We're just treat this as a, as a term, mir ha There's a threshold at which point we say that it's common, even though it's not 50% or close to 50%. So in those circumstances, Moshe says you can't sell that kind of garment to uh, right to consumers who don't care about shatnez. Why not? Um, I mean, you can't even just say you've got to check it yourself and leave it their responsibility. Uh, because you right, just because you tell them doesn't make it doesn't doesn't relieve you of the responsibility for their decision. Okay, that intention with some of the things he says earlier. And we have an ongoing question of what your responsibility is for people who are doing things deliberately. But we're going to stay in this half of the Chuvah. So, what is the explanation of this? He says, Even though your custom, right, your customers could buy their possibly shot in suits somewhere else, you're not selling a unique product. And Ramosha understands the Sugin of the way um, most Dachronim do. Uh, as saying that the biblical prohibition of lishnei don't place a stumbling block in front of the blind only applies in circumstances analogous to what we call trei de which he understands again the way most achareim do whether whether that's necessarily is not our issue. Um, that you only violate the biblical prohibition if the sinner could not transgress without your assistance. So you are, you have to hand them you have to hand the Nazir a cup of wine across a river when the Nazir would have no other access to wine. So here too, Ravusha says, but so obviously not a biblical violation here because there are many other uh, the, there are many other clothing merchants. So what's the problem? The problem is he says so there's still a biblical violation of a rabbinic violation. Sorry, of misayyehu de'ovre avera, of assisting transgressors. Now he says you'll tell me, hang on a sec, but you don't know if you're assisting transgressors because there's a less than fifty percent. Right? We're not well, there's certainly a less than fifty percent chance. It's just a miut hamatsui. It's just a you know a significant minority. That have shotness in them, so this should be a suffix derabanan, right? It's only a doubt whether you're violating the rabbinic prohibition, so it should be fine. Uh, he says, no, don't pull that off, right? Because you, what you are doing is assisting them in violating a rabbinic prohibition. What's well, the rabbinic prohibition? The rabbinic prohibition is where it is violating, a is right, is violating, is doing something that has a possibility of violating biblical prohibition, right? So it's it's rabbinically prohibited to wear clothing that has, let's say, a 15% chance of containing shotness. So if you hand them clothing that hasn't been checked and that has a 15% chance of wearing shotness, so you are violating rabbinic prohibition against helping others violate rabbinic prohibitions, and this is not called a 0 Legzera, It's not considered a two-pronged rabbinic prohibition because it's just one general rabbinic prohibition that you can't assist people in transgressing. So Rav says, don't pull that out. But he says, if we don't hit that threshold of significant minority, we just have a grounded, uh, we just have a grounded suspicion. That according to halacha, Medina, you're allowed to follow the majority. Right? Meaning there isn't even the rabbinic, um, rabbinic prohibition against doing things that have a. They have a significant minority possibility of violating biblical prohibition right so what so why why should there be an issue at all right if you're already right, if you're allowed to follow the majority so the person buying the suit is allowed to follow the majority so nobody's doing anything wrong um, so what he's for the overwhelming majority so he says uh, <laughs> but even in circumstances when there is no prohibition against use it against wearing the clothing, but there's still an obligation to check. All right, so that's where Vesha says that the obli- that the obligation of eshulavarer applies even in circumstances when there you would not be violating anything by doing the action. It's not that we say, well, since you didn't have all the evidence, it's forbidden for you to do it. But what we say is that you have an obligation to obtain all the evidence. That's an independent obligation. So in those circumstances, he says, you're allowed to check. Now, why should you, you're allowed to sell the garment. Now, why should you be allowed to sell the garment? You too could, right, you too have, a, there's a doubt whether you're causing somebody else to violate something. So even though that, right, because the the suit has only a 1% chance of containing is so, um, right, so you only have a 1% chance of violating the rabbinic prohibition, but um, but you should have an obligation to clarify. So there's, you know, be a clever way out to say that no, Right, since the other person, no matter what, is not going to violate rabbinic prohibition, therefore you have no obligation to investigate because there's no chance you're violating rabbinic prohibition uh, at all because they're right because they're doing something that um, it violates no prohibition at all. But Moshe doesn't take that uh, approach at all. I think it's because he says we don't right. We're really looking at is a one percent chance of the person violating a biblical prohibition, and if they and if in fact they violate biblical prohibition, so then you have violated. The biblical prohibition of causing of assisting someone else or the rabbinic prohibition of assisting someone else to sin I think that's how he looks at it although it's conceptually um, confusing uh, takes a different approach he says under those circumstances even though you should have an obligation to to, um, to investigate thoroughly until you're sure there's no shotness in it and therefore there's no risk of your violating the rabbinic prohibition uh, but he says you'll lose sales. And the financial cost of losing sales because people won't buy from you, uh, right, they'll go to the other merchants and buy right and buy the suits from them. Um, that cost is enough to remove your obligation of checking. And therefore right and therefore hef uh nekshav ki So we end up with a notion saying is that biblically, um, if there's a if there's a you know, you know a more than 50% chance that this is not a violation, you're allowed to do it. But rabbinically, you have to get it down to whatever is below, to that to the, to the, they're not even being a significant minority, and it's a rabbinic violation to do something that involves a, a prohibition, biblical prohibition, in a significant minority of cases. Maybe it's a rabbinic violation to do things even in, in uh, no, I can't, right? So, the, so the, has that percentage a biblical violation? But then, uh, Ramosha says, beyond that, obliga- beyond that, there's also a rabbinic requirement. I, I assume it's rabbinic, because it's so easily pushed aside. There's a rabbinic requirement not to make a decision when any ev- when, when there's any more evidence, possibly any, only probative evidence. We saw in the last trip, but maybe even evidence that wouldn't uh, change your mind. You shouldn't make decisions and act when all the evidence isn't available. That's an entirely independent obligation, but that's an obligation which can be pushed aside um, really very easily by any degree of bother, uh, any degree of loss, um, any, right, and really any cost to the other party. So now the question is, Ramosh said, right, so if that's the case, so then why did anybody actually check for shotness when the odds are below whatever the grounds the condition of significant minority is, um, since shotness checking involves a cost. Uh, it involves a cost to, you know, if you hire, unless you do it yourself, it involves a cost hiring, Hiring a shotness checker, I it takes a lot more time than looking at a chicken. Um, I think, I've been, I don't know, maybe it's very, very hard to look at specific organs of chickens, but it seems to me that it's, it is a real bother. So that, I think, is a question that's left to investigate. Why, according to Moshe Feinstein, in cases where there is less than a significant minority of shotness, why would there be an obligation to further investigate? Is there an obligation to further investigate, or is it just a mid uh, of